This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be financial or investment advice. Seek a licensed professional for investment advice about crypto or any other investment. Welcome back to the Blazing Crypto Podcast. This is episode 32. We are Justin and Brandon, and this is a market update plus bear market rally show. Uh, so we're going to cover in the first half uh, some market update notes, some news that we think that is interesting, you need to know, and then we want to spend most of our time talking about a impending uh, bear market rally, uh, has been termed midterm rally. We'll get into that. Uh, some news and notes on how we think that uh, you need to handle that, be prepared for it, what you should be aware of. So, uh, Justin, we are turning the corner on summer. Uh, it is still very hot, but I think we are all ready for fall. And uh, I'm just going to I'm gonna turn it right over to you, man. Um, kind of first point here, um, a little bit surprising. Uh, Ethereum continues to lead us out the gate. Yeah, yeah. I think you mentioned like the summer is hot, but Ethereum is hotter right now. The uh, it's it's <laughs> Ethereum is very hot right now. It's funny, like looking back at the last you know five years or so within the crypto space, I've honestly I've never seen anything like this from like uh, during a bear market. Ethereum is leading crypto like it's the thing that's pumping the most uh and usually in a bear market you know bitcoin is is dominating you know it's it's the main it's the main show um but for ethereum to be to be making movement like it is just price action wise uh it's it's really unprecedented in crypto um one of the big things that is really i I think contributing to it and there's probably you know there's a number of factors that come into play here Um, but one of the biggest things is just the um, the Ethereum merge that's coming up. Um, they just uh, Ethereum this week did a testnet merge for moving from proof of work to proof of stake. Um, I think we talked a little bit about that on our, our, our um, last few podcast episodes. Uh, so if you missed those, go back and and check that out. But they are um, cleared to go ahead and schedule that for September fifteenth. Actually, is when they're going to try to officially do the merge. Um, and at that point, if that goes successfully, um, Ethereum will be officially proof of stake. So I do think that has a lot to do with um, the price kind of like pumping uh, a lot of times in crypto when something's so big is that like that's happening. Um, a lot of times you'll see, you know, a coin pump up into the event, but then actually, you know, at the time of the event, that's when everyone loses interest and then it kind of like crashes afterwards. So. Not saying that's going to happen with Ethereum, but uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm I am expecting it to um, continue to pump for the next few weeks, and then probably uh, see it cool off. Yeah, certainly excited to have seen Ethereum take off, and uh, it's sort of been stealing the show, which you know I'm uh, I'm good <laughs> with. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, so shifting gears, we haven't recorded in a couple weeks, um, sort of squeezed one last vacation in there. And, um, from a market update side, you know, one thing we continue to monitor is the fact that really there's a lot going on obviously in the world, but, but from a, um, a market standpoint, you know, what's called macro, um, what's going on sort of across, you know, global economies, but also how, um, our domestic economy works with all of the, you know, all of the cogs and wheels and all that. Um, macro has been driving 
crypto, so whatever the Fed says or whatever inflation looks like has some effect on the market. And obviously, every market, every fund manager is is reacting and trying to get ahead of that. And it's complicated. It's a lot going on, and it's complicated. Um, but basically, we've got three specific data points I wanted to talk about. I'm not going to get in the weeds. Uh, you can look these numbers up uh, and sort of read you know, infinitely about them if you want. But um, over the last two to three weeks, um, we had unemployment data come in for July. We had uh, the ISM index, um, which is a manufacturing purchasing index, and then the CPI number just printed on um, sometime this week, Tuesday or Wednesday. Now I can't remember. And, and basically, I think the big point is this: you know, the the Fed has the Federal Reserve has been trying to sort of like crush the economy, crush demand, crush buying to get supply up so that prices come down, right? So that's, it's, it's a weird sort of system of levers, but that's kind of what they're trying to do. The whole goal is getting inflation down. You just have to do some things in kind of the opposite direction to make that happen. Um, and so they've been trying to do that. So in one sense, the fact that unemployment has been so low is sort of killing them because basically people are making money at work. People are not unemployed. We're not pulling for rooting for unemployment to rise, but the Fed, the Fed sort of needs to see unemployment rise to sort of demonstrate that they've been successful. And right now, unemployment is not rising. So unemployment printed at a very low number. I think it was in the threes, but but you can, again, you can grab that number. Um, ISM did not dip below 50. I think it printed at 53 or 52 and a half. It only dropped half a point. And 50 is kind of one of the magic triggers, magic numbers. So it's kind of like, ugh, like underwhelming, no real reason to be excited. Uh, but inflation did come in a little bit lower than last month, eight and a half, which again, eight and a half, nine months ago was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> inflation's eight and a half. And now we're kind of like, yeah, eight and a half. You know, so it's just, it's kind of weird. So there's a lot of moving targets. There's a lot of noise around that. The big idea is the market is sort of responding positively to the fact that it seems like hopefully we've sort of, I guess in one sense, inflation topped out, it bottomed, if you will, depending on your, your point of reference. Um, all that being said, that's been really noisy, um, but basically we're just really trying to get to the place where the Fed is happy with curbing inflation so that they start pulling back on these rate hikes every six weeks at those FOMC meetings that we've been talking about. So a lot of moving pieces, but but it is important, and obviously we'll keep everybody up to date there. Um, the next FOMC meeting, kind of want to talk about a time frame here, but it's kind of interesting. The next FOMC meeting where the Fed will talk about what they're doing on rate hikes or, or whatever is in sort of early to mid-September after Labor Day. So we kind of have a little window of time, right? We've already printed all the numbers that are coming out a lot. We don't have, you know, um, you know, Q2 earnings have already been reported on the stock side. And then FOMC is coming up in three weeks, four weeks. So it's not really surprising to see uh, when the cat's away, the mice will play, and we've got markets sort of responding positively, and we'll kind of have to see how high and how far this rally goes. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in, in the second half of our segment. But switching gears uh, to a third news item, uh, today we got a really exciting piece of information that BlackRock, which is uh, the largest asset manager in the world, uh, they announced a new Bitcoin trust. 
Um, and so BlackRock actually manages $10 trillion with a T, uh, $10 trillion uh, worth of assets in under, under their management. Uh, so Justin, talk a little bit about the BlackRock Bitcoin Trust, exactly what kind of access it's going to give to some of their buyers, many of whom are actually central banks, which is huge. What access is going it's going to give them and sort of why this is so sort of breaking news and new and not just another thing like we've seen in the last year. Yeah, it's a big step forward. Um, regulatory might not be the best word, but I think you get the the main point being here that uh, for, for Bitcoin to adopt, for banks to be able to buy Bitcoin, um, corporations, um, you know, larger players, they have to have the right rails in place, if you will. Think about it like you know, we're laying the rails for Bitcoin to like, you know, move on into the future. BlackRock was, is a huge part of that. So, you know, before, it's a lot harder for banks to, to buy and hold Bitcoin. Um, it's not like something that, you know, you and I do. We can go get our nano ledger, we can buy some Bitcoin on Coinbase and then send it to our, our hard wallet. Well, you know, banks aren't going to do that. Right? They're not going to have some guy in some office spending... 500 million or five, you know, five billion dollars of, of Bitcoin purchasing and sending that to some uh, hardware wallet. So they need, they basically need an institutional partner that's gonna that's gonna buy that crypto for them, keep it safe in cold storage. Um, and one of the one of the things that makes this unique is one, it's spot Bitcoin um, that BlackRock is providing. So spot just means like. They're actually buying Bitcoin and holding it. They're not leveraging other assets to take on debt to then buy Bitcoin or, or um, you know, buying it based off off of futures, uh, futures markets. So those are a few like key points there. Um, but I think the the biggest thing now is that banks. I don't know. Um, it's almost like it's almost like the gates have been opened for banks to be able to step into the space. That might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but you get the point. It's, it's much easier and safer for banks to access Bitcoin uh, in a way that's right. you know, regulated and approved by you know, government and the agencies. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't know the right analogy <laughs> to peg on this, but someone, uh, someone said on Twitter, and I thought this was apt, uh, that it was sort of like everyone kind of needs to know the water. It's okay to get in. You know, it's kind of like a signal. You know, like yeah, the water's the water's good. It's okay to get in. Yeah. And certainly the institutions that are regulated in, in their activity and, and in the funds they manage and all of that stuff. Uh, yeah, that is a huge. Um, you know, the light has been red on that, if you will, and and now it's. Yeah. You know, again, the, the analogy breaks down. But yeah, this is a this is a for all the hyperbole in the market. I mean, this is a huge step. Yep. I would, I would say also like, go as far as to say, I I was going to say, if, if, if Bitcoin is going to hit a trend, uh, a $5 trillion, $10 trillion market cap someday, this is necessary. Like this, this right. has to happen. Um, so this is definitely a big step forward. It doesn't mean that, you know, $10 trillion is going to just flood into the space tomorrow, right? But, but if we're going to get there, the, these are the steps that have, right. to, that have to be taken. Yeah, exactly. When you start talking about the fact of like, oh, like if, you know, the world's wealthiest institutions and people and corporations were to allocate 1% of 
one percent to Bitcoin, right? This is this is where that money would come from. The point I was going to make a second ago is I think this, while not necessarily a logical step, I think this ultimately does help pave the way as a stepping stone. You know, whatever analogy you want, towards a a true legitimate spot ETF yep. um, that again will draw a lot of interest. So again. Um, big news, um, you know, it, it, this has sort of been a long time coming. And I think, interestingly enough, we actually posted a meme of this in Discord. I mean, four years ago, I mean, BlackRock was basically saying that Bitcoin was like fake internet money, right? The, the BlackRock <laughs> yeah. CEO was saying, yeah. like, Bitcoin is stupid. It, it's not legitimate. It's fake. So, again, that, you know, they make fun of you. You know, then they, you know, then they fight you. Then they join you, right, as the saying goes. And, like, Hey, you know, the adoption's here. So, yeah, really exciting news ahead. I, I'm just going to say this. Uh, I'm going to keep it high level, but um, the opportunity to buy Bitcoin in the low 20s, uh, that window will not always be open. So that's all I'm going to say. Uh, I've been hammering the buy button. Justin, you can attest to that. Um, I, I'm just, you know you're not going to have that opportunity forever. So I, I, I do I do have conviction that buying between the 17 and 23K level, you know, whatever you want to say, buying at that level, we will look back and say that that was a historic, historic moment. I'm not saying we won't hit 20K again, but this window is significant. Yeah, certainly. All right. Well, let's get to the big topic of the day here. We teased this out a number of episodes ago. We've kind of been following the scent, following the trail. Um, but it really does seem like there are pieces in place from sort of a macroeconomic climate, a number of things where we could be looking at a, a bear market rally. So a positive move, uh, you know, potentially sizable move even though we're in a sort of a, a big bear market downtrend, right? So this move would not shift the trend to bull, but in the short term, some significant gains could be had. What we want to do tonight is basically, number one, we want you to be aware that that is in the cards. It's really not our job, role, or goal to predict, to call timing. We're trying to avoid that for many reasons. Um but we want you to be aware because the last time this happened, Justin, we were taken a good bit off guard. Yeah. And to be fair, you know, you had been in the space for a little over two years. I was I was much newer to the space than that. Um, but we had something like this happen in 2019. So we want to kind of revisit what happened. Um, we'll talk a little bit about why it happened, and then sort of frame up 2022 in light of 2019. I'm not saying the same thing will happen, but I think it's important to know history just to at least have that grid, have that perspective or paradigm kind of in our minds. So at, at minimum, we can be prepared for that kind of scenario were it to ever happen again. So Justin, um, remind us what happened in 2019. I think it was rough. I know a lot of it happened in June. I don't remember exactly when it started and exactly when it ended. But remind us what happened and actually some of the numbers pricing that we we actually saw. Yeah, it, it um, if you if you measure like the the from the very bottom of the rally to the very top, um, and depending on what asset you're looking at, Bitcoin, Ethereum, or some alts, 
you know, some of them pumped for a solid three or four months, some of them actually five months. So it was, it was basically the first half of 2019. Um, the two big things that we saw though were, you know, Bitcoin went from 30, 3,100, basically, basically 3,100 up to 14,000. So it was a little bit more than 4.5x. Then Ethereum went from 80 all the way up to 325. So that's a, that's a 4x. Um, so yeah, I mean like what, that's quite the bear market, I guess. Uh, <laughs> You know, things don't usually go four and five X uh, in bear markets. So I don't know, when we say a rally, like it can be pretty, pretty aggressive. Um, now, obviously that's from the very bottom to the very, very top. So it's not like you're going to like buy down there and sell the top perfectly. Um, but the main thing to look, uh, to notice there is it's not abnormal. Um, these rallies happen in bear markets because um, sort of, you know, what we've talked about before, the momentum. Uh, of going from a, a mega two-year bull run and then going on, you know, a 10, 12-month uh, bear run, you're going to have a lot of volatility when the pendulum starts to swing the other way. So that was a big part of it. I know you've got a few other points. I'll uh, I'll hand that off to you to talk about maybe um, why why yeah. like why that happened. <laughs> Yeah, to layer to layer our story into that, and if you were you know in the market, uh, if you're listening and in the market at that time, you you remember this. This was a this is a standout moment. I mean, you know, in 2018, you know, I had just jumped into the market in January, um, had bought first at 13 and then 13k, and then we bounced off of 6k like five or six or seven or eight times, and I was just buying at 6k. It seemed like a good number, right? So, you know, you fast forward 12 months into 2019, and all of my 6k buys. I didn't get a four and a half X, but I got a two and a half, right? Yeah. Or, you know, a little, little over two X. And so I'm thinking, man, like this is working out awesome, you know? Um, but of course we, uh, we went all the <laughs> way back. What, what do we retrace to? Do you remember <laughs> yeah. the story of our lives? What did we, we retrace to after we went that? All the way back. Well, Bitcoin went all the way back down to, to, um, to 6,000, uh, pumped again. And then March, 2020 came around later and we right. had a severe, sell off that got eaten up in mm -hmm. like half an hour. Um, but the main thing there is these, these, these bear market rallies, they don't just explode to, you know, infinity and beyond, right? They, they, they cool right. off and, and they, a lot of times they come, they draw back down at least 50%, especially if you're seeing a, a pretty aggressive rally happen. So, um, yeah, I guess that's the nature of that pendulum swinging. Um, and really, uh, I think the big thing to, at least that I remember, and I was like, I got to remember this for next time if this ever happens again, is don't panic and don't get overly excited. Because uh, I was certainly overly excited in 2019. And that just made the, you know, the sell-off on, on the latter half of it that much more painful. Because I... <laughs> I thought the worst was out of the way, and here we are still in a bear market. You know, it was frustrating. Yeah, it's like the most difficult thing we'd ever gone through, going from 20K all the way down to 3,200, 3,100. It's like, hey, we get the, you know, we get to do it again, you know. Uh, it's kind of like the, the roller coaster with two big hills, <laughs> you know. So, and to be, to be clear, I'm going to book in this statement with, we are not projecting this to happen in this way again. So, for instance, we are not saying 
that you know right now 17 and a half k is the 17,500 is the low on bitcoin in this in this bear cycle we are not projecting a four and a half x run up to seventy eight thousand dollars we're not saying that right? right um i think an equivalent an equivalent given sort of all the numbers sort of equivalent to scale would be something like seeing bitcoin go up to like 40 42 44 yeah. or maybe 48 like a sort of an equivalency if you factor in some deceleration and some other things. So again, I you know I, really the whole goal of talking about this is one, this is possible. Yep. Um, it happens, and it's not really an outlier. Like it's kind of something just and I think like to you what you were saying with with all the volatility, the volatility should not be a surprise. It is a feature. It's not a bug, right? right. And volatility works in both directions. Like you talked about with the pendulum swinging, it goes up. And it goes down. And again, prices do not always go down forever. That's not the way markets work. Right. Um, and by the time you're lulled to sleep on the lows, here we go again, you know, running it back up. So um, number one, it happens. Don't be surprised. Number two, um, the big point is these bear rallies do not magically roll into the next big bull cycle. And I think that was probably... We just didn't know. That was our probably our biggest mistake from last time is we thought, boy, we are running right into another massive run. And, and probably for worse, we actually knew what was possible on in the next run, and we're thinking, baby, it's here, right? Yeah. And again, we were disappointed. Um, but such is life. We learned, and now we're talking to you about it. So here we go. Um, and then I think just third, just be, like Justin said, like, be careful, right? Like don't. Don't get caught up in in the in the euphoria, in the FOMO, um, and and start buying you know, <laughs> buying Bitcoin at at, at thirty eight thousand, right? Just be be conscientious of what's going on. That's why we're talking about this. So um, so yeah, I want to talk about kind of an interesting topic, Justin, and we're going to kind of tiptoe around a few landmines <laughs> here. So I would say like. You know, if you're driving in your car or, or like you're you're on your phone but you're listening, uh, like <laughs> pay a little bit more attention to the details of this conversation because we're trying to help steer people accurately. Um, but this is a little bit of a, a slightly more tricky discussion. But I think there's really some important gems to be to be had to be found here. So um, we, we've talked about some of the similarities in 19 and 22. One that I wanted to highlight specifically is in 19 what I, I didn't realize this at the time i think i told you justin i was sort of searching for answers like why did that happen sort of from like a what was the underneath structure that 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 supported that and sort of like how would i know to find that again and there were some oh well a chinese exchange and some contracts got messed up and i just thought i that's just not I'm not satisfied with that answer, right? Like, it just doesn't make enough sense where everybody sweeps along into this massive move. Well, it turns out in 2018, we had, we didn't have a global pandemic and, you know, economic meltdown all across Europe. We didn't have that happen, but we had something similar to where the Fed in 2018 were raising rates, trying to pull inflation back down, get control of some things. And then in 2019, they flipped the script, they pivoted into more of a risk-friendly environment, right? So one of the key ideas here is that the monetary supply in 2019 went from being crushed down 
to really unleash in the positive direction. And people started loaning, uh, borrowing money again, lending, leveraging, and sort of off we went. So we shifted from a, 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 a bearish environment to a bullish environment. And it's like, yeah, the markets responded, right? So we, we, we do have some correlation and some similarity between 18 and 21, or sorry, yeah, 18 and sort of the end of 21, 22 kind of splits the calendar year. And then 2019 and 2022, maybe into some of 2023, I don't have any confidence about the exact timing. Just saying there are some similarities, and that's kind of why we're saying, like, heads up. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll say there, again, we are moving into a midterm election cycle. Historically, it has been good for markets. You know, take it for what take it for what it is. It's just data. History repeats itself, and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But... <laughs> Um, Justin, any, 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 from a, from, from a, we're talking about macro, right? But from a, I really value your insight on the charting perspective, the data, the technical side. Like, I think it's a, when you lose sight of that and think that it's not valuable, that's when it bites you for not paying attention to it. So I want to be mindful of what the charts are saying. Um, any, any kind of key points to share from a charting perspective? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I think charting, Charting uh, can be really boring at this point in the cycle. So, um, like usually, what I what I've tried to do early on in like my when I first started learning about charts and everything, and I was really interested in some trading and stuff like that. Um, it was really easy to make charts everything because like that's all the data you have. So you know, like oh, there's this ascending triangle. It has to break up after this, right? And you place all this important on importance on these charts. Um, and the reality is it, it just doesn't work that way. Um, so usually what I've, I, get, I think what I've pivoted to is trying to let the chart or let the market come to me. Um, so, uh, that's why I said charting can be a little boring right now. Cause it's, it's, you know, it's not like there's some formation, this ascending triangle that's about to break out. And I'm all excited about that. Um, so the, I guess a good way to state would be like charts are meant to be helpful they're not meant to be predictive, right? Like um, a, a good example is um, a few months ago, Solana was around $70. Um, and in our Discord group, we were expecting the markets to break down a little bit. And one of the, the areas that we highlighted was $30 for Solana. Like we expect it to, to find support in that area. Um, and it wasn't, be, like $30 wasn't like this, this magical dollar amount that we knew because, you know, the Solana developers had this inside information. It, it wasn't anything like that. It was just looking at the chart and zooming out and seeing, okay, there's a lot of, there's a lot of buying interest in this area um, of $30 and there's not much buying interest between 70 and 30. So historically $30 has been a key level for Solana. And, you know, we had patience and that actually paid off pretty, pretty strong. It bounced around 50 for a while and then, you know, broke down all the way down to like 26, $27. So in that situation, right. it feels very predictive, but I don't know how to say it other than it's just not, <laughs> but it's a good, it's a good way to like identify key levels. Um, so I think when you approach the charting mindset, you kind of have to, you have to have that uh, healthy balance of 
not being like overly excited or reliant on any one specific chart, mm-hmm. but knowing how to balance, okay, this is how we read the charts and this is how we might find it to be useful. Let's set our strategy around that and then see how it plays out. And that's what it means to like let the market come to you. So um, that's, that's kind of like my, my yeah. high level uh, view on, on charts there. From like a, um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I love that. And frankly, again, like I think that is, that's one of the reasons why you and I enjoy this so much in one sense is because I, I know we have conversations and like you'll, you'll, you'll bring an insight or a point and I'm like, what? Like I, I didn't expect that. Where did that come from? You know, I, I'm looking over here, but I think bringing these insights together, there's really value in like, it's like hearing two people giving you advice and they're not diametrically opposed, but you have to take both of them into, into consideration because yep. they're both real and they're both valid. But yeah, keep going. With yeah. That. I think so. Solana is a good example of how it like, like I said, it felt very predictive. Like that was a key level and it hit and then it bounced hard. But uh, I think another, like a bad example of how charts don't work in your favor, honestly, is over the last week or so, you know, I was seeing, you know, Ethereum, I was like $1,700. There's so much selling pressure up there. I do not expect it to, to punch through. Um, you know, I wasn't like on a, you know, blasting all over social media, but like that was, that's how I felt inside. Uh, and man, I was wrong. Like it just sliced through it like butter. Um, and it, he actually did that on the way down as well. Cause when it was, when it was dumping several months ago, I was like, Oh, $1,400, there's no way it's going to, you know, it's going to cut below that and it just dropped through it right. like a knife. So, like I said, there's <laughs> there's success stories and then there's there's failure stories there. Um, but I one thing that I wanted to finish with there was just talking about buying and selling, um, you know, in a bear market rally. So, I guess I break it down into like an, an entry process and an exit process. So, when to buy, when to um, when it would be smart to take profits. So, from an entry standpoint, usually what I like to do is um, I try to avoid catching a falling knife. So that means like when everything is just plummeting hard, um, I'm not going to try to like guess where the bottom is. Usually what I like to do is wait for it to bounce and it finds support. And then it usually comes back down and retests that level again. And that's usually where I like to take my entry. Um, there's a few exceptions to that. Like Bitcoin was under twenty thousand dollars, and I know you and I were both like, "Yeah, I'm like we're buying here. This is ridiculous. Uh, it's it's too low." Uh, so that one, you know, that worked out in our favor. But um, as far as like exiting process, you know, if you're able to if you're able to catch some really good buys on on the front end of the bear market when prices are really low, and you're getting you know those four to five X's, that makes it a lot easier to take some profits, especially on the riskier assets if you if you're if you're playing around with nfts um solana even ethereum you know things that are just more out on the risk curve um that's usually a good window where hey if you're able to catch that that bear market rally and you're up three four five x it might not be a bad time to exercise that profit taking uh whatever that exercise of profit taking because <laughs> it's it is very rewarding to do that that's for sure especially in a bear market right yeah we're i mean we're big advocates in general of taking profits right if you don't ever take any profits 
you really never sort of, you know, receive the benefit of what you've, you know, kind of put into the market. And it's like, that's one of the things we try to do is we try to outline when things are way oversold, you know, kind of going back to that phrase of like price is wrong. Like, like, sorry, like Bitcoin is worth more than $17,000. And it's just like, I don't, yeah, I mean, I'm pushing the buy button. That doesn't make any sense. Try to highlight those opportunities. And like you're saying, Justin, we also want to highlight like, hey, like, we're outperforming the market here, right? Like, you know, Ethereum just went 2x in two weeks, right? We need to know when those things happen. You know, but Justin, I think that, you know, the, the if you will, the caveats, I guess two things. Number one, selling makes some people very nervous uh, for different reasons and kind of want to acknowledge that. Um, the, the discomfort is actually okay, right? Like in the same way that it feels uncomfortable buying at the bottom, like, Sometimes the discomfort is sort of a feature, not a bug, if you will. I know I said that already tonight, but I, I want to I make sure people see a path towards some people, dollar cost average every week, twice a month, once a month, a set amount into Bitcoin or Bitcoin Ethereum or Bitcoin Ethereum Solana or some amount of those. And they just, they enjoy not paying attention, right? They pick their horse one time, they made one decision and off it goes. And in three to five years, they'll be very happy. That is a very viable path, and if that's what works for you and the way you've decided to structure it, thumbs up, keep going. That is a very viable path. We are sort of outlining that there's another viable path, which is, again, if you get up three to four x in a bear market, um, yeah, like, yeah, like <laughs> you've got you've uh, you've got our thumbs up on on taking profits. Um, Ideally, you have some kind of plan, right? Um, but again, selling there is is typically a good idea. Justin, where what are some scenarios where you might be up, um, but you actually might not take profits in a bear market, to be clear? What are some scenarios where you're, you have profits, but you might say, you know what, I'm going to stay. I'm going to actually stay in and hold this position. Well, I think one of the biggest things for me is it depends on what asset I'm holding. So like Bitcoin, I'm not interested in taking profits during a bear market. Sure, if it went 10x, I might take some profits, but at that point that's no longer a bear market. Like <laughs> you know, that's oh, that's baby. a full blown oh, that's baby. a full blown blow, uh, bull market. So um, but <laughs> no, I think that the big thing there though is there's especially once you get into like tax ramifications, it gets particularly sticky if you will. Um, so, you know, if, like if you're, if you're trying to trade and you're, you're up, let's say 30% in profits, well, you sell off. Okay. Now you got to pay taxes on that. And oftentimes the taxes eat so much into the profits that, you know, it's, it's better off to just hold it. Right. Cause the risk of selling it, it's not even worth waiting for it to drop 50% just to make right. your, your money back from the taxes. So, I, there's a lot of scenarios like that where um, it becomes particularly challenging to take profits, and that's that's especially why I'm saying numbers like four, five x. You know, when you're talking about um, entries like that on on a trade, you can take profits, pay your taxes on it, you know, and 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 have a, a decent amount left over um, to buy the dip again. Uh, that can be done pretty you know, successfully, but it's, it's kind of hard to like separate the, the good trading scenarios from the bad because it's such a spectrum, 
if that makes sense. And, and really, um, I guess one principle that I would take away is the entry is everything, right? If you're able to get Solana at $25, it's really easy to take profits at $125. But if you waited and you know you got in around $80, okay, taking profits at 125 just that's not nearly as attractive for me because of a lot of the the other decisions that have to be made because of that. It's just like not even worth it if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And just to put some some real numbers on it, I, I sort of made a, a scenario and did calculations ahead of this. You know, if if you had, um, I guess let me start by saying, sometimes when you have a smaller stack of tokens and you're trying to build your supply, that would be another scenario where I would say, just focus on accumulating, yep. um, especially at, at like historic levels. But here's what I mean. Let's just say you had 0.06 Bitcoin, right? Which is not an insignificant amount, um, but it's it's a smaller stack than, than some others. Um, if you sold 0.06 Bitcoin when Bitcoin hit 28,000 and just simply rebought at 24,000, I mean, you've made a gain, right? I mean, it's decent. You've basically moved from 0.06 to 0.07 and you've gained somewhere between 200, 220, $230. Now, that's a that's a decent gain. Don't get me wrong. But you're just as likely to not see 24,000 again and miss the entry altogether. Okay. You're also it, you also when you try to do that again, you mess up and you eat into that and you're making sort of a tax mess. The the idea there is sometimes if you have a smaller stack, don't get cute, just keep stacking. If you, you know, if you believe in what you have, you know, again, now if Bitcoin goes 3x, I don't care how much you have, you know, that's in a bear market, I, I mean, sorry, to be clear, it's not going to do that probably, but you, you get my point. If you get something really outsized, but a 20 or 30% move on a really big asset, it's just a lot of headache and work and risk for really a small gain. So I think, yeah, I think we've paved paved the path on um, on that. But again, keep listening. I mean, this is stuff we're going to talk about every week or every other week, uh, especially if it starts happening. I mean, we'll try to signal what we're doing. I, I do also want to say, I mean, you know, you know, on Discord, actually following this episode, we're going to record uh, sort of a extended version and really talk about some specific price targets we're looking at places where we would push the sell button, get a little more specific and detailed. Um, and again, if that interests you, if you want to go deeper with some of these assets, some of this thinking, uh, have some access to our group, um, join us. It's $12.99 a month. Um, I can virtually promise you, um, probably a dangerous thing to say, it's very easy to, to make all that money back in the right conditions. That's all I'll say. So I think it's a worthwhile investment. Uh, but join us, uh, blazingcrypto.io slash join. Check it out. Join our Discord and get access to more content like this. Uh, so Justin, enjoyed being back, recording, putting some notes together with you. Uh, and uh, we will catch everybody uh, later. So for Justin, I'm Brandon. We will see you next time. For more information, check out our website at blazingcrypto.io. Additionally, if you have friends that are new to crypto, share our trailhead videos from our website, which is a great way to get introduced to crypto.